I used to want to do everything on my own. And so I talk about this quite a bit. Like I was I used to teach myself guitar or drums or I would, you know, all my hobbies were self-taught. And I thought there was something kind of noble or cool about that. Like, you know, I'm legit. I did it myself. I'm self-made, all that. It's poor advice. It's better to get mentors. It's better to get people who can filter out all the, the crap and put you right on the right track easily. Just find someone that you want to emulate and do what they do. And also right alongside that, join networking groups. You cannot do this business without people. And it's not just vendors. It's not just lenders. It's also investors and guarantors and just people who know the industry on where the deals are happening. It's just people like, a hundred percent this business is people and I failed that. I wasted a decade of my life because I refused to do it. I felt I was too cool or too good or the opposite, the inverse of that, not cool enough or not good enough. And somehow those are connected on some level and I'm not exactly sure why, but it is. And it's just go network, go find a mentor, go find a coach, go find friends and people and surround yourself with them and you will get there you know, 10 times faster than if you try to do this thing alone. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. My name is Abel Pacheco. I am the president of Five Talents Commercial Real Estate and your host for today, which I'm super excited. We have a very special guest with us. I am uh, thrilled that Mr. Will Crozier is able to join us. Will, thanks a lot for your time, brother. What's up, Abel? Very happy to do this. Excited. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. You have so much value to give to a network like mine and many others I know. So, I sincerely, you know, appreciate the opportunity that we have. And then also just, you know, you genuinely giving back, man, you've, you've done some amazing things. So a lot of people can learn from you. So before I kind of, we jump in, jump in, let me go through at least a bit of your bio just so everybody knows. So I know, you know, in 2011, you co-founded a couple of multifamily investment firms in Texas, which I love. That's where we're from. That's where we do deals today. But you did the uh, Exponential Property Group and CapEx Ventures. And you have transacted over $500 million as a deal sponsor and a syndicator, like 5,000 units. Is that right? That's correct. It took okay. a bit, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, it takes me a little while to wrap my brain around this. And I think my mind has been stretched the last couple of years in multifamily. Just reading that off, let me, let me hit it one more time though. $500 million in assets, 5,000 apartment units. If you guys aren't uh, taking notes, you know, for the next few minutes of the conversation, uh, something's wrong. So you need to be doing it correctly. So Will has done, you know, a lot of transactions, multi-million dollar transaction in 2018, where, uh, you know, I've heard you on a couple of podcasts. You're like, hey, you, you saw something coming and you end up selling some of your interest in the exponential property group. And also you still have some other things going on, but you sold off that and the exponential property materials, a construction materials import company that you were doing, you were crushing as well, right? And in addition to that, if you don't know Will and kind of why you should listen in, uh, he's a licensed and registered uh, real estate broker in the state of Texas. So Will formerly held the SEC FINRA Series 7 and 66 licenses. And you also work with TD Ameritrade and Fidelity as a stockbroker. So knows that side as well. Um, I know, man, I always see a bunch of your posts on like Facebook. You do a lot of international travel uh, for business and I think for adventure as well, seeing some of those posts. But I know you're a founder of the Angel Capitalist uh, now and you sit on the board of, of directors there for Give a Smile 
the Rural Foundation, which is how I originally heard of some of the ways you give back. I uh, saw you on a podcast with Devin Elder, who's one of my, my partners, and oh, yeah. saw that. I was like, dude, that, that's awesome. So I'll let you dig into that as well. But I know all these organizations, they work all together. You give back a ton. The Rural Foundation, for those that don't know, you, you know, I'll put the links in the, in the back of the show notes, but they regularly arrange surgical outreaches for children in the Philippines. They house orphans that have been rescued from abuse and undernourishment. And, you know, they really work permanently to adopt children in these, you know, countries or help them get adopted to developed countries. And, uh, Will, today you live in Bonifacio Global City, Metro Manila, Philippines. Is that right? That's right. That's where I'm right now. Man, opposite sides of the world right now. Well, that's awesome. We, I know you, you spend a lot of time, man, just growing teams, uh, bringing some awareness to, you know, all kinds of needs through social media contacts and uh, monitoring efficiency, fundraising. And I've seen more than a few amazing cars. <laughs> I, I guess that uh, your, your multifamily holdings has afforded you to buy. So I definitely <laughs> want to ask you a few questions about sure. uh, some of those, man. But man, what an amazing guest. Will, did I miss anything at all? Anything you want to highlight, my friend? There's nothing left of my life. You've got it all right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, like I said, just appreciative of, of you joining. So what I really want to, to allow some of our listeners, I would say our network probably is comprised of passive investors. Uh, so hopefully we get some exposure here. And then also, you know, general partners and operators that are trying to figure out how to get into this thing, how to do their first deal, their second deal. And then the ones that are probably rolling, you know, I think they hear somebody like you with that 5,000 doors, like, how do I get to my second thousand and third thousand? So, you know, a few different layers, right? But, you know, perhaps you can share, if you haven't shared enough of this story, it's the beginning and how you started, which I think is like, it's just super humble, super, you know, rewarding. And then I bet you grueling, you started as a in multifamily investor, like living on the property, deep value add, uh, you know, putting your own money, writing some credit cards to the end, you know, all that kind of stuff, man. You, give us an idea of like your first couple of deals, man. That, I think that'd be great to start with. Sure, absolutely. And just to back and put a little bit more color on that, I was trying to go to school and I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't pay tuition. So I just started flipping cars. So that's, I kind of got it in my head. I can make money, not just as a nine to five thing. And that I started making more money flipping cars than I ever would have had I graduated. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I knew I needed to grow and I couldn't just do that. So I started flipping houses in Southern California, having flipped houses down there, you know, 500, 600, 700,000 for piece of junk houses, you know, old rundown things, three twos, you know, basically. Uh, and then the market was crashing in, you know, 2008. I got out before that. I moved to Texas, tried to flip houses in Texas. And those same kind of houses were like sixty and $70,000 at the time. We're talking 2005 or so. They're just, there's just no money in them. And I, I, I removed a zero rather than added a zero to my transaction price, which was going the wrong way. So I needed to, to, to do something to increase the transaction price to keep growing my business. That's where I started looking at apartments. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about flipping apartments, but it kind of just worked out to, to be almost the same thing. And so my first deal I did with my partner was a 77 unit apartment complex in Irving. It was $1.3 million buy-in price. So it was about 13,000 a door wow. at the time <laughs> in uh, 2011, I want to say. It was just a disaster, 50% occupied, ugly, ugly, ugly. A California owner had owned it, just used it as an ATM machine and just refied, refied, never put a dime back into the property. Just run down, we got it at a short sale. And, you know, that was just a little background to kind of how I got into this. So I was really a, a house flipper by mindset. And all of a sudden I had 77 houses to do all at once. And yeah. I put everything I had into that deal. I put literally everything I had. I I probably had taken everything from California. I had borrowed from distant relatives and collateralized with shares in my project. And I had uh, secured lines of credit through some of my house flips for the renovations. And so I just somehow one way or another put together over $300,000 and just shoved it all into that deal. I didn't leave any cushion. I didn't have any resources. I didn't even have a job at the time. And I think that me and my partner split around $2,000 a month in our management fee because we self-managed. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I had twin boys and I had uh, one of them special needs kid with autism and just couldn't afford it. But I just bet really, really hard on this deal. And I moved into one of the units and that saved me money on rent. And it also uh, let me just watch every freaking move that was going on in that property. If there was someone out of line in the middle of the night, I knew what's going on (laughs) at a temperamental boiler going on. So I knew what's going on there. It was an all bills paid property. So I'm out looking at which lights are doing what and switching, (laughs) switching light bulbs and seeing who's running air air conditioning when they shouldn't be and their doors are open. And it's just total, total micromanage situation. I I wouldn't recommend that at this point, like my career, but at the time it, it seemed like the thing to do and it was all I could do and it was just, I was just all in every every uh, resource I had was all in and my entire mind and my physically my body was all into that project and that's kind of how that one went how I started that one man that's uh it, there's so many things to talk about uh even in this first part but the selling cars I can relate with I I flipped about uh 13 to 14 cars and I bought them and sold them on Craigslist and that's what kind of helped me buy some rental properties. And that's what allowed yeah. me to refinance and take some money out of those and then kind of do the deal. So that that's awesome. How many cars did you flip or do you remember like, you know, 10, 20 or like more? Or- my, my focus was in Southern California on the old muscle cars. You could still get like 70s Camaros and Mustangs oh. and maybe even late 60s. And so I would just do mm-hmm. them and do the bare minimum them to the bare minimum and ship them up north to New York or to the, yeah. you know, the Rust Belt and they would pay a premium for it. So, you know, I'd grind through maybe 50 to 80 cars in that time and <laughs> made like five grand per car or something yeah. like that. But yeah. it was big money to me at the time. I, I felt rich. I felt you, like, yeah, man, and that's a, that's huge volume. Like I would, I've never done anything that volume. And you also did, so the single family houses, so everyone understands you did high volume transaction in that side also, right? Like, 50 or 100 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, when I say I, I always mean we because I, I can't do anything alone. I'm incompetent. I'm not intelligent enough for any of this stuff. Like, I literally couldn't function without my team always around me. And so I means we, my whole team, we churn through, yeah, easily 100, probably closer to 200 single family yeah. houses. And when you have a team that big, you're not, you know, making a killing on each one, but you have trust and systems and integrity and you can still make a really good, good uh, paycheck that way. Yeah. Uh, love that you point back to your team as, as the reason for the success and, <laughs> and uh, any big, you know, project or venture I've, I've been in it sales and leadership for like 13 years. And we, you know, we did tons of sales, but it was always the, the team. Right. And then there was, we landed deals. It was always the support side. So it was, you know, people delivering a bigger team and, uh, there's, there's a front, there's front people to it, which you were one of them and which is amazing. And, uh, that's, that's awesome. You given even highlights and kudos to them for this is a projects done years ago, man. Still giving them, uh, kudos. That's I'm awesome. Worthless without them. Worthless without them. <laughs> so then you did a bunch of transactions, you shoved it all into one and me and my daughter have been saying fortune favors the bold. Uh, lately, we've been saying that the past few days, and uh, she's like two and a half. So I'm like, fortune favors the bold. That's what. That's exactly Dude. what you were doing, man. You, sure. you threw it all into it, huh? Sure. Well, and people thought I was crazy. Even my banker, who who did a loan on that deal, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was like, "Can we talk for a minute? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, are you crazy? It's a rundown piece of junk property. You're literally betting the farm on this thing." You know, so he liked the deal, he underwrote it, but he just didn't feel like me as one of the, the sponsors, like I was a rookie mistake and I was just shoving it all in. But to me, a value add at that place where we're negotiating heavily on a deal that's that distressed, where there's 10 buyers right with us trying to buy it, mm-hmm. I couldn't really do anything to devalue the property. There's nothing I would be able to do to drive it down in value. Yeah. So the only thing I could do is say either I won't make a penny and I'll have wasted all my time, or maybe I can just freaking slug this thing out the park and, and make a home run. Unfortunately, that's what we did. And we yeah. did that several times in a row. Yeah. And so that model, if this is right or if I'm wrong, please correct me. That's been the major model for you from then till now, right? Heavy, deep value add, distressed property. So maybe tell us a little bit about like what you enjoy seeing in a deal, which I think would shock a lot of uh new general partners or new syndicators, new operators, but to tell us what you're like looking for or on the hunt for 
you know, in, in your classic, you know, this is right on, right on the spot with the deals that you're looking for. I always loved occupancy issues because there's nothing easier than just fill the place up. I mean, even if it's a dump, if you just have a good marketing team and a good maintenance team and you just have a strategic management plate, you can fill the place up. That's all it takes, you know? So I love occupancy issues. And of course, if there's dated floors, the place looks terrible. I love that. The worse it looks, the better it is because it's just opportunity. And we specialized in taking advantage of that opportunity and turning that into our main objective, our main uh, business model. Yeah. Like you said, nowhere to go but up in value, right? Yeah. Um, And so maybe give us an idea like, you know, some of the normal things for you, maybe some of the rougher properties. What are some of the value add, major value add? Is it like, um, I don't want to make any assumptions. What were some of the biggest value add plays that you drove into some of these deals uh, that that gave you the biggest pops? Yeah. So, I mean, there's been several, but like the second deal we went into, it was, we purchased it at about 45% occupied. It was in December and they had, uh, their boilers had been out for months. So there's no hot water on the whole property for months. So the only people remaining are the people that literally had nowhere else to go. Their credit was so bad. The rental history was so bad. They had to stay there. And so we were basically 0% occupied economically speaking. Mm-hmm. So we, we went in and just had to just say, really want to kick people out in the middle of the winter, but started making deals and just, just threw millions and millions as quickly just dropped a bomb on that place of money and contractors. And we had six contractor teams going at the same time inside and out. We dropped it down to, I think low 20% occupied rough, rough neighborhood. You would tell people where you bought and they're like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, you bought over there. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and when our, our lenders would take tours, when our appraisers would take tours, we were very, very careful about where we would take them on the property. We would ask our manager, managers to go and talk to certain residents and say, hey, you know, can you go shopping or hang out inside for a while? Just couldn't afford to bomb the deal through our lenders just getting freaked out and scared as they show up in their fancy Benz or BMW and step out in their suits and suddenly thrown into a really different scenario than what they're used to dealing with. It was, it was choice. And I lived there. I lived there. I was, I was very unique living on a property like that. And, um, you know, woke up to the gunshot several times, prostitution everywhere, drugs everywhere, you know, literally dumpster fires frequently, frequent dumpster fires. Those were not analogous or analogous. <laughs> they were literal dumpster <laughs> fires, huh? They were. It, it was, Son you know, God. you would see them in process as one, one boyfriend or girlfriend was angry. A lot of stuff would end up in our pool as well. Yeah. Good, good, good memories. I got my concealed permit right about that time. <laughs> I became good friends with the police at the time, you know, good people. They really took care of Yeah. I won't yeah. go too far into all that right now. In and 2020, there you are. But, uh, they, they were good, good for us and our property yeah. and our residents kept the place safe. That's, that's but, awesome though. But you really did improve communities, man. It's, you really did. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I do this in, you know, I want to improve my community. I want to help others. I want to give back it's hard to deny the fact that you would take a community like that and turn it into something really great. And I bet you it was because of the neighborhood people could, you know, still afford to live there and, you know, have a nice, clean, comfortable, safe housing community, which is, is pretty awesome, man. It's, that's, that's great. And then you made a lot of money in the same time. <laughs> so went all the way around. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about that. I mean, we were the second property in that whole I don't know, eight blocks, city blocks of Dallas, second property to do that. And, and we like were the second in line that started regentrifying the neighborhood. If someone's got to do it, someone was ahead of us. I wish I could say it was us, number one, but we were the second right on their heels. And now it just continues that upward ascension. And some of the properties are turning into condos where they were. So you can tell what's going on in that neighborhood when that's going on. And there you go, man. Well, that's awesome. That's a, an amazing start and living on properties, rough properties, and then putting everything you had into it, you know, betting big on yourself. You know, you, I've heard that multiple times and I like saying it, if you're going to bet on somebody, you should bet on yourself because you're going to know, you know, what you can deliver and the outcomes there. So you take that to the nth degree, which is cool. And then, so you're kind of newer, you're jumping into it, you're learning a ton, 
probably w- way more than a lot of people, you know, in their first few deals. So now you shift and you're able to uh, complete success, have a model. You've done it a few times. Tell me about the beginning part of the scale. Like you went from one to two to 5,000. Like were there certain levels of, uh, you know, hey, I, I got my third deal and now my 10th deal and now we're, you know, riding high at 20, 30 or something. Could you, could you give me any insight about, you know, those transitionary times from new to, you know, 500,000 and then your scale and beyond, man, and any nuggets you have for somebody trying to figure out, you know, the next step in front of them? So we were very organic in what we did. Nothing was really a forced, like, we have to grow. Like, we never just, like, made that the main goal. It was literally, we did it, we felt comfortable with it, we felt confident with it. But along the way, we picked up things that made that scaling really possible. One was that materials business that I started. Mm. And that's, we, we had the second deal, we had uh, 300,000 square feet of, of rentable, livable space. All of it needed new flooring, all of it needed new air conditioning and lighting and everything. And, and we tried for a while to make those big box stores, Home Depot, Lowe's, or AZ Parts Master, uh, MRO, or all those to take care of us and they just failed horribly at supplying us at the scale we needed. The parts would change, the prices would change, availability would be off and we'd have workers standing around with their hands in their pockets, which is something we can't do. So flew over to China, spent time there with one of our partners who was uh, Chinese and toured factories and started making deals on containers of flooring and anything else we needed in bulk. And it was originally intended just for us. But after a while, People got curious about the cool stuff that we had. The pricing was great and the consistency of the product and the, the logistics, getting it on, on site. It was the same. They needed what we needed. And we just realized that we we're scratching our itch. We're scratching their itch too. So that whole business was, was started. And before long, we had a large warehouse and shipping trucks and trailers and forklifts and racking and all this stuff I never thought in a million years I'd be involved with. But it, it, it created the solution to our supply chain issue. Um, you know, management, when you go and you, you buy a 400 or 500 unit or a thousand or 2000 in a portfolio, when you buy that, there is a lot of, of property management personnel on the ground in these properties who don't want to move on. They live on site. They've been with the property for 10 years or five years or whatever. Uh, that's home to them. They don't want to go away. So in buying a larger scale project like that, you're inheriting a lot of really good talent. And uh, they know the projects well. And so that's another quick way that we scaled and inherited a lot of our property management team that way. Those were a couple. And then that's on the operation side. And of course, on the, the capital raise side, that, that's, an, that's an insanity there. It's, it's surprising how quickly people will trust you with their funds. Almost shockingly, like, are you sure you want to give me this much money? And, you know, and there's almost a little competition going on by who can get in your deal fast enough. And that's, that's counterintuitive to most people. They're like, oh, how am I going to do these big deals? I don't know anybody, but it's, it's quite the opposite. You have people attacking you to take your money because you've done two deals and you were great on two deals. It's a lot of work to do two deals, but at the same time, it's not, it's not 20 years. That's not 10 years in the business. That's a couple of deals that you did well and they're they're chasing you down to invest with you and that's just you know the the normal investor the the common investor and then there's the guarantors and the, they'll start fighting who can sign on the loan with you it's just this very counterintuitive thing for people who haven't been involved with it and once you've been there for a while you're like yeah sure enough you're gonna have people that want to sign on fanny knowns or freddie or agency debt they want to put their, their, their resources, their assets, their balance sheet to work for you. And, you know, you, you give them a little deal on, on what you're going to charge them to be in there, but they will say, can, can I be in your next deal? Can I sign your next loan before you get, go to those other guys again? Pretty, pretty trippy. It, it freaked me out at first. And now it's just kind of business as usual. Oh, so that's awesome. To highlight a few things, if you're a passive investor or kind of newer to it, uh, every time you're doing this value add, you've got to figure out how to literally source all the materials for the project. And so one of the things that, you know, Will highlighted there was, man, he, there was a problem. There was an obstacle, a challenge. You took that right on just like you did your first deals. You're like, well, let me go to the supplier. Let me go to the source and I'll figure this thing out myself, which is awesome. And then the money part of it. So if you are maybe a new general partner, a new syndicator, um, one of the, the things that I know is 
it's hard for a lot of people is like to wrap their minds around the fact that if they're doing a, just even a $10 million deal, we're trying to raise 3 million bucks. And that number, if you've never done it before, it's, it seems so hard, so much of a stretch, but really when I mean, we've got a great product, multifamily, people need to live somewhere and you put their heads down. And a lot of times we're not doing luxury, you know, housing or anything. That's just, you know, workforce housing. So people need to put their money into an investment somewhere. And, you know, right now with the volatility of the stock market, the economy, the market, it's like, man, why would I not put some money in it? So, you know, even back then, and, and once you've proved success, well, like you said, man, you, you, you doubled someone's money or you gave them way more than, than you, you promised. My, why wouldn't I give it back to you, right? Hey, you made 50 and 100. Can you make 100 and a two? Or I gave you one. Can you make it 2 million, please? And let's go for a ride, right? So, and that, that's a, that is a paradigm shift. I think that a lot of people, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to do it, man. It took me uh, 10 years in single family before I moved over to commercial, mainly because of that. So, man, t- talk about that mindset, if you could, a little bit. Like, what did you do uh, first, you know, men- mentally to prepare yourself, like, to accept all of this money to do all of these deals? <laughs> like, was there preparation there or what, you know, how did you just deal with that? I think how that kind of panned out in my mind was, and this might set me a little different than some of your other syndicators or whatever. There's no fault. There's a million ways to skin a cat, right? But for me, I always put my own money in my deals as much as I had. I mean, everything. Basically, yeah, I kept just that shoving from the beginning, it man. You did yeah. that from the beginning. Yeah, I did. And I continued that. And, and at one point I didn't really feel like doing that anymore. And, and literally that's around the same time that I started selling some stuff and scaled back my business a bit. And it was really just, I felt so confident in these deals. Selling these deals was, was nothing to me. I was just like, yeah, I, I just got a couple million bucks out of that. I'm putting all of it, hundred percent of it into this next deal. And when you speak that way, that convinced of what you're doing and what your team is doing and you show, you put your money where your mouth is, people will just jump, jump right on board. So my preparation was just loving my deals. It was loving what I was up to and having full confidence in it. And it helped you sell it, but also it was just like, it was a no brainer. Like you're crazy if you don't put your money in this deal. Yeah. Look, look how I'm operating. Look at my own balance sheet and where my money is going. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you believe in the deal, you're putting all of your all of your eggs in that basket, and you know it's gonna. You know if you're gonna bet on somebody as yourself, so that that is contagious. I think uh, you know from my sales career it was always the definition of a sale is the transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another, and if you can do that, it's not really a sale. It's just you're excited. Like man, I'm freaking excited. This is a great deal. Why wouldn't I invest? So I love I love hearing that for the sales guys that are, are watching this, the same, same principle, man, same principle. Um, okay. So 5,000 doors, 500 million, how much of that is capital that you've, that you've raised or you, you know, you and your teams, what, what is that? Is that just, you know, rough numbers, 20% of that or 30% of that, or how much did you raise over the years? Well, I mean, I guess we used as much leverage as we ever could, which was never ideal because we're doing heavy value add. So it wasn't like we were back to back 80% loans. We're usually in the high 60s, low 70s when it's all in, you know, so, uh, and then we would use our own money wherever we possibly could. But in the scheme of that many units, it's still a small percentage of it. So, you know, probably uh, 30% of, 500 million somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Ton of capital and uh, all the capital that you were kind of putting together, working it. Um, it sounds like you had a pretty steady, pretty, um, pretty solid team supporting you, but could you describe a little bit like how you handled um, the investor relations, literally just even wires and, and that thing in the beginning, I was probably, a little easier because it was less investors, but multiple deals, investor relations, updated reports, how to do distributions. And, and that was kind of before uh, like 
Appfolio or Propelio, right? And that kind of stuff that you have, maybe an easy way to do it. Like, how did you manage that? Mostly manually and mostly poorly, <laughs> honestly, to, to answer those. And it was, it was no help of mine. Like, that's literally the wrong side of the business for me. So I've always been blessed with phenomenal partners. Like, again, I say team, it's yeah. partners, partners, partners. They've done really well. And the pace at which we grew didn't allow for catching up with systems. It was always one step behind. So, yeah. so a lot of it was Excel and a lot of it was, God bless these bankers we're dealing with. And <laughs> yeah. so it was generally not good enough, but investors don't really care when, when wires are showing up or when checks are showing up. That's the least of their it's concern. Where you, where you need to really be good is when things are going poorly. That's when you need that clear communication and everything ironed out clearly, but we didn't really hit that problem. Well, actually, so let's, let's hit on that for a minute. Like, how do you deal with tough conversations? I'm sure in those, you know, those deals, not every single one of them was, was perfect all the way through. There were some moments where you're like, damn, this is, I'm going to have to tell this to the investors and we're in a bad spot. How, how do you handle those you know, tough conversations and difficult you know, disclosures at times? I think at first I was a bit more shy about it, nervous about it, and tried hard to kind of hide some of the uglier aspects of what we were up to. Like if we were short of cash rather than going to a general partner cash call, I would just cover it or I didn't have much to cover it with. So I would just go find some way to cover it. And, and it, it was an immature business move on my part and my partner's part. We had a reputation to hold uphold and it was wrong though. It was not, it was not a good way of doing it anymore. It's just like the facts are the facts are the facts. Don't beat around the bush. In fact, almost beat yourself a little bit more so everyone realizes that you're not trying to sugarcoat anything. This is the harsh reality of it. We understand it. We have a plan for it. But guys, you know, distributions are on pause because of certain pandemics or we literally don't have any idea of how this pandemic is going to work out, when it's going to work out. We know nothing about this any more than you do. So bear with us. Collections are down, occupancies down, we can't evict. Like just now it's just over disclose, 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 and be like, we have our eye on this. We're not dropping the ball. Our full attention is on this. We're invested along this with you. We only get paid when you get paid. So you bet on the good horse here. We're gonna run the race and we're still gonna win it. Just watch out. Yeah. Yeah. People value that full disclosure and transparency across any industry. And I did this, like I said, in my past, I was an IT hosting sales guy for the services. So when people's websites were down and they're, you know, they're paying us hundreds and thousands of dollars to put my website up and it crashed, you know, a lot of times we had to give full disclosure and transparency. This is what happened. And uh, they lost, you know, tons of money. And, you know, we found the same transparency, full disclosure. Those are values that we kind of held. And and those customers stuck with us, just like I'm sure that your investors stuck with you over the years and will continue because you've done tremendous, you, you prove tremendous value to them and, you know, the communities that you've, uh, you've improved away over the years. So that's awesome. It's good stuff, man. So thank you. That's very helpful. So, okay. So you're, you're growing, you're doing extremely well. At what point did you finally say, you know what, I, I should probably pay myself a little something here? And when was that? When when some deals started going full cycle? Or I heard I've heard on some other podcasts, you know, 1031 and 1031 and 1031, right? So, yeah. you know, at what point did you finally say, hey, I'm gonna take something here and, and you know, how long was that? I just any color around that would be awesome. Yeah, that's something that should be talked about more. Because there's this idea that jumping into real estate, you go flip houses, you'll have a lot of money. You go rent houses, you'll have a lot of money. You go into apartments, suddenly you'll you know, good. roll in large, you know, you'll, be, you'll yeah. be large and in charge. So I didn't find that. In fact, I felt a lot richer when I was doing maybe single family houses in volume than I ever did when I was in multifamily for the first while. First deal, you know, I took zero lead compensation, zero sponsor compensation. I took nothing. It was just my own money in the deal that made me money on that. The second one, it was just a small piece. It was, you know, of, of all profit returned to investors. It would be like 10%. And remember, I've got partners. So, you know, yeah. it's 5% of all profits returned. It wasn't until really deal three that the, the 
deal sponsor, the syndicator, promote, override, whatever concept or structure you use, started to actually pay me something. But yes, we did a 1031, they did a 1031, they did a 1031. <laughs> I'm not working. The materials company was very profitable. Oh, you were working, my friend. You were just weren't getting paid right. W2, bro. <laughs> right, 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 right. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the materials company was profitable, very profitable, but it, it required more inventory and more inventory. So we weren't touching anything there. And um, so it was really sharing a, a small management fee across two or three of us uh, that was barely keeping us afloat. And by the way, it was negative. I was never I was never in the black. I was never able to fully pay my bills. So each month it was a little more in credit card debt. And by the time I finally took profit, on, I want to say my fourth deal. So probably we're about five years in five years into my wow. multifamily that wow. I took a real like check from closing mm -hmm. and did something with it. I was $200,000 in personal credit card debt. Uh, we're not talking about like good debt where it was somehow uh, an asset somewhere or I had inventory or like it was just like my bank of America freaking yeah. credit card that I owed high, money on high gasoline and food. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were collapsing my credit lines because I was overutilizing my credit. And it was just like dominoes was about, and I'm like, it's time to take some profit. Finally, I can't endure this anymore. And it was this, was this kind of weird moment where the wire cleared. Nope. The check cleared my bank and I opened up my laptop and I opened up all of my bill pays, like credit card, credit card, credit card, credit card, credit card. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, Three minutes of like painful, 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 and it's just like complete oh, debt man. gone, erased, and then a huge balance, you know, a seven-figure balance remained in my account after doing that with no requirement for it. There was suddenly nothing I had to do with that money. I still had many other deals going, much, much bigger deals. Yeah. My yeah, debts yeah. were paid, and it was just like, this is... It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's like there's money. I think I did something stupid, like bought a, you know, a 60 inch TV for two grand or something. I was like, whoa! <laughs> and Ooh. that was your big spend. That was, was your big spend after everything. Huh? It really was. That was oh, the man. moment. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dude, that is uh, that's awesome. I I think you know a lot of people, like you said, maybe have that misconception. And I'm you know I, I've done single family for 10 years and have been in the commercial side for two. I'm writing a book uh, right now. So my first book and I asked my wife, is, is it okay if I talk about, you know, our net worth a little bit, right? In, in this book. And I want to tell people, you know, how, how my net worth has grown. So we're, we're, we're setting aside X amount at X year, you know, uh, 2016 when I was in IT sales, 2018 when I jumped to commercial and then now it's 2020 for me, right? And so we're we're excited that we have uh, another comma, and I got my one, you know, in there, and I'm like, oh. And then I told my buddy that I was writing a book, and he goes, "Well, dude, how does it feel living up there?" And I go, "It doesn't feel any different to me because I don't have any extra spending money. It's all yes. in assets. <laughs> right. I I can't eat anything. I can't spend any differently. I can't go to any place you know new. It's uh, all all my net worth is in." you know, deals right now. It's, it's all, it's all unspendable money <laughs> today. Anyways, yeah, it's 100%, just mindset, right? 100%. It's it, it, in, in ways it's worse in ways. And I think that, you know, Kiyosaki's like a uh, cash flow game, whatever that's called. The cat, mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah. I don't remember cat, what it's called. It's, I think it's called cash flow. I don't know what it is. It's cash flow quadrant, oh, cash flow game. Yes, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's really the point. Is solid there that you know the doctors have the biggest difficulty because they can't possibly replace their their income on moving into the business or in the real estate the way the way that I could, having been a bit more of kind of the blue collar hustler lifestyle. I I knew how to live cheap already, and I know a lot of you know executives who want to jump over and do this glamorous real estate thing, but their their spend is like 300k a year and i'm like my spend was like 20k a year when i was you know getting rolling so it's better for you to keep working that job and just give me your money and i'll invest it for you and i'll take a big cut of your profits of course but just yeah. keep doing what you do people respect you you know you, yeah. you have your your circle just keep doing that yeah i understand completely man so that's uh that is a mindset that you have to accept and deal with in the beginning and then 
at some point it pays off like you, my friend. So, you know, now today you've done a number of freaking amazing deals. So they're all working. They're all, you know, getting after it. How, how many properties do you still have today? Did you sell like a quarter of them? Do you sell like half of them or, you know, how many are still in flight today? Like how many are still operating today? Sure. Well, it's, it's more in portfolios. So I've got uh, portfolios, two real portfolios and one smaller one. And, and I've been very actively since 2018 moving more into uh, guarantor roles, more of a passive investor with guarantor responsibilities and even advisory to basically buy myself into other people's deals. Uh, it's a great move. It's a great at, move at, at this point. At a much better rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, sol- it's a solid move because yeah, eventually or my, my goal today, passive investor today, I'm an active investor in my first few deals, but eventually I want to go uh, right around full circle. I want to be a passive investor <laughs> and I, yep. you know, full circle at the end somewhere and in between there, like what, what Will is saying, he can earn his spot on a deal on a team for those passive or new general partners or operators. You can join an opportunity as a key principal. You've got value to provide. You've got insight, guidance. You're going to help along the way, I'm sure. And then, you know, you get you get a slice of the pie because you're you know, a key principal. The banks love him. <laughs> the banks li- like Will because he's got big holdings and a lot of experience, and a lot of expertise. And so, you know, having him on is probably going to get, you know, get your team or deals a better rate and, you know, better financing and just all, all the way through, man. It's, it's great. Raising capital and all the things. So that, sure. that's awesome. If you were to take, you know, a little bit of advice for, you know, younger Will or the next guy doing his, you know, breaking into multifamily that's dead set. This is what he's going to do. They're going to be a multifamily syndicator, an operator, a multifamily investor. What kind of advice would you give this individual, either yourself when you're younger or the, the new guy just trying to break in today? What kind of cheat codes the fast forward tips, the just those things, would you say, man, you need to do this, skip all everything I just said, do X, Y, and Z. Hello, hello, this is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question, and you are where I was a few years ago, then I'd absolutely love to connect with you. A few years ago, I started personally consuming a ton of real estate education. I traveled all over the country, as many real estate conferences and seminars that I could go to. I took 200 plus hours of real estate education. I spent thousands of dollars along the way. And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you. And potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest, and I'd love to set up a time to talk. when you said that dead set because my first piece of advice is don't do this <laughs> and, and that will filter all the people who are wishy-washy or not sure yeah. and only the people who know for sure they want to do it will end up doing it yeah, yeah like by all means don't do this but um after that i used to want to do everything on my own and so i talk about this quite a bit like i was I used to teach myself guitar or drums or i would you know, all my hobbies were self-taught. And I thought there was something kind of noble or cool about that. Like, you know, I'm legit. I did it myself. I'm self-made, all that. It's poor advice. It's better to get mentors. It's better to get people who can filter out all the, the crap and put you right on the right track easily. Just find someone that you want to emulate and do what they do. And, and also right alongside that, join networking groups, uh, I used to lack self-confidence uh, when I was in my 20s or whatever, and I would hate going to like real estate networking meetups because I didn't have like all the success and deals, and I had to be humble and I had to be like, you know, a wannabe. Like, oh, you know, I want to do this, but I don't know how. And I was still not very articulate, but I was especially that way then. So I just felt shy and intimidated and 
lacked confidence to do any of that. And I would have just grabbed young Will and shoved him in there and just said, you're, you're not leaving until this thing is over. You have to stay and you have to collect X number of cards and just meet people. You cannot do this business without people. And it's not just vendors. It's not just lenders. It's also investors and guarantors and just people who know the industry on where the deals are happening. It's just people like, a hundred percent this business is people and I failed that. I wasted a decade of my life because I refused to do it. I felt I was too cool or too good or the opposite, the inverse of that, not cool enough or not good enough. And somehow those are connected on some level and I'm not exactly sure why, but it is. And it's just go network, go find a mentor, go find a coach, go find friends and people and surround yourself with them and you will get there you know, 10 times faster than if you try to do this thing alone. Well said, man. There's, there's a, a cheat code for, you know, majority of success uh, in any industry, in any, you know, role, in any, you know, opportunity that we're getting into. There's a mentor or a coach, you know, that is on the other side of what you want. They've already done that and they can, you know, they can guide you up the mountain. They can show you the different paths to get there. They can, you know, easily clear out, you know, the trail because they've, they've carved that path multiple times and then, the networking side, man, that's, that's just huge. I, uh, you know, we, we say that cliche is so true. Your network is your net worth. Um, and you know, w- without that, like you, you know, no man's an Island, right. You know, you're not going to figure it out on your own. You know, it'll take you decades, like you said, decades or decades, right. To get it done. So, how, how did you, you buy? I'm okay. sorry to interrupt. You just it's cannot okay. go and buy a $50 million apartment complex by yourself. It doesn't happen. There's nobody doing that. Like it's always like that team, that group, it, it requires that. And if you show up like with a bag full of cash and be like, I'm the buyer of this thing, they would go away. Like you're some illegal guy or something. It's just not how business is done. So you might as well train up early on, on doing that the right way, even if you're in single family or whatever, just start getting your team together because you need to show up to these apartment tours, these property tours with your posse. And they want to know who your lender already is and your insurance people because they have this issue and they need to know how to deal with that. And they want to know who you know in the city and they want to, you know, they want to know your guarantors and what the net, it just, it, you cannot do it alone. I'm not saying like, it takes more work to do it alone. I mean, literally, you can't do it. You can't do it alone. Yeah. So, how did you, um, he- hearing that you lacked confidence when you were younger, how did you figure out how to how to like you know get the courage up or just you know make it happen? You found your first guarantors doing what? You know, for somebody that's like, I've never raised any money. I don't know how to ask anybody to help me, and I don't have a deal, so I don't have experience, and I'm like. How, you know, they're, they're fumbling through that. How, how did you find your first investors and guarantors and what did you physically do or what did you, you know, the tactics there? Sure. I did some single family and I think that that's important. I would recommend that to really anybody who wants to get involved in multifamily. It, it's, it's not the same, but there's so much overlap. You learn the, the vocabulary, you learn the process flows, you learn some of the same people. If you're already like a, you know, an executive at some large bank or, you know, you, you have a resume anyway, you might be able to skip that if you're trying to go into multifamily. But if you're not, and you're kind of just a hustler, go hustle for a while on single family. And I did that and it, it helped me a lot. What I did though, to, to directly answer your question, I did not want to join these multifamily groups. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And finally my partner was like, <laughs> we have to do it <laughs> because we need to raise capital because you don't got squat and I don't got squat. The money's going to have to come from somewhere. And it was going and joining one of these multifamily groups, these guru types. And I still have so much, we could talk about that for hours. I'm yeah, sure. I'm, yeah. I, I don't really know you that well, but I'm sure that we could back and forth about yeah. the, the woes of the, the mentors and the guru groups, but they have their place and I would gladly go pay them the ridiculous fee again. And this is my take on it in a nutshell probably you're not going to learn anything from the guru. Probably you're not going to pick up any help, any assistance, probably nothing. But what you will get for paying your stupid Mm $20,000 to one of these people is access to guys 
like you and me and the other people who are going to stand around and drink coffee or drink a beer or whatever and just let their, their mouths open and start talking, you'll be able to stand next to them and just absorb like a sponge. And if you show that you can add value to their team, they'll go, okay, come do a project with us. You know, you can, you can do the sweat on this one or you will find people to partner with there. Or if you can show your resume of I've done 12 houses and I made this amount of money on it and this is my team and you can speak confidently at that point, at least a little bit more confidently, there's money will chase you anyway. It will still chase you. You want to go to a 30 unit multifamily deal and you've done 10 single family houses, people will invest in your deal. Mm -hmm. They'll just go, I'll take a chance. Here's 50 grand. To a lot of these people, 50 grand is not much. That's a small bet. For you, you know, you put eight of those people together and you got your down payment on your deal. So if you get in these hives of activity, these hubs, the, the center of the buzz, even if it's a freaking, I can't believe I'm selling memberships for gurus. It feels slimy and I don't like it at all, but it is a gatekeeper. It keeps the yeah. riffraff out. And if you're part of that group, it means, you know, you're trying to be in the business. So I would go do it. I would go do it again. Yeah. If you want that to be your career, you want that to be your life. You want to be a multifamily investor. Yep. That's uh Great advice. And I understand the pain, right? The, of like saying it or putting it on the tip of your tongue. I, uh, I, I personally, you know, I did, I did, I spent all that time in single family. I had my career. Uh, I got to a, a upper level kind of executive role. So I was making good loot. Right. But I, fi I figured out, shoot, I need to break into this. And what's the fastest way. And the advice that I give people today is if, if you don't have any money today, you do need to grind somewhere like me flipping cars or will flipping cars or and then flipping houses and get that active capital you know figure out a way to get your first 50k you know 5k at a time and do that thing 10 times to get 50k in your hands you know do that first but if you already have capital and you have money today then you need to go invest it and pay for mentors and pay for coaches um i i kind of did what you did i i guess i hit my fast forward button i I joined about four to five different programs over the course of two years. I paid close to, you know, the 15 or 20K and in, in, in all of them uh, felt like and joined several masterminds. I traveled to like 13 or 14 cities, 200 plus hours of all these courses and seminars. And it's like the fast forward button. I'm, I met all of these people in the business. The hive is what Will said. I love you saying that because all of a sudden I like, that's my new network. And I, you know, I've never been around so many people like you before, you know, millionaires, multimillionaires, people that can say, oh, you're trying to make your first million bucks. Here's how to do it. You know, you're trying to get your first million, $10 million deal. Here's how to do it. You know, and it seems so easy for somebody that's done it a bunch of times because they've done it and now they can coach you and guide you and everybody's got their, you know, talents and everybody's got their own, uh, you know, their tribe, right? Another, your, your vibe is your tribe, right? So uh, man, I've taken a ton of your time. I'm looking at my, uh, I'm looking at my timer here and I've mm -hmm. gone probably way over, but I've loved the conversation. So last few things before it, I'll let you go, man. You have done a ton of things to give back. Uh, and then I want to talk about some music and some cars at the very end, but <laughs> Deal. So, Deal. like I said, I, I found you because there was a something broadcast where, you know, these children in Philippines have this cleft palate. And, you know, the mo every time I've seen them, you know, your, your heart kind of sinks like, God, I'm so fortunate that I didn't have to grow up in that situation. And, you know, one, ha having the issue, but then two, in a first world country, we can fix those problems pretty, pretty easily. You know, third world country, Philippines, et cetera, they, they just can't afford to do that for their children um, and just bad situations. And so your foundation or the, the foundation that you end up, you know, working with and, and donating through, you guys go and, and uh, help a bunch of children, man. That, that's, tell me about it. It's freaking awesome. It makes my heart warm every time I see some of that stuff. And go ahead, man. Tell us a little bit about that if you could before you split. Yeah, sure. Um, it is uh, touching to even talk about it. I'm, I'm excited to get back to work on it, in fact, because we've, we're still in a pretty – heavy lockdown here in Manila right now. And so we've been chatting this morning about, okay, when's our next location? When's our next place? We've gone through hundreds and hundreds of kids. I, I don't remember the last stat. I think it was 800 since I've 
participated, which started maybe four years ago in these surgeries. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of kids. If you think about 800 kids in a room, it's just mind blowing. The cost is what you and I would spend to go have a nice steak dinner somewhere. That's really what it costs. Man. And to completely change the future of a child for that kind of money, it was, it was eye-opening for me and it was paradigm shifting. It was life-changing for me. I kind of stumbled into it on accident with another kind of surgery, just of a, of a distant family member needed some help. And so we explored that and found out, wow, we can change this uh, young girl her entire outlook on future for, for what I would spend for a night out with my friends. And so I got addicted to it quickly. Yeah. People, yeah, people give a lot of attention for it. I, I mean, I, I like being associated with it and having that kind of thing attached to my name, but in all fairness, I get really paid a lot for it emotionally. I get a lot of emotional payoff for it. So I don't hold myself up high as like, Oh, you know, look at all the sacrifices he's making or whatever. It's nothing like that. There's nothing I would rather do more with my money or my time than this kind of project. So I'm, probably got I'm getting the paid. highest return of any dollar you've probably ever spent so far. I, I guess every yep. time you do one of those things, that's like, that was a great return. Yep. And it's, it's great to use everything that I've learned in the business sense in what we're doing for just scale, for efficiency, for capital raises, for, uh, PR, like the whole thing, it all applies here. Every, every skill and talent that I've learned and my whole network, anytime I throw anything on GoFundMe, it gets funded up in like two days. Like whatever, I, whatever yeah. I've asked for, I've got it filled because of cool people in my network that either I've made money for, a lot of money for in the past, or just we know each other, so there's trust there. So if I'm doing it out there, you know, I've, I've handled tens of millions of dollars per transaction for folks they're not thinking I'm going to try to rip them off a hundred, a hundred bucks at a time, you know, to try to help a kid. So it, it just, it transitioned beautifully over to what I'm doing over here. It's a lot of fun. We're doing a lot more of it. Just bought an orphanage uh, out. They call it the province here. It's like the, the countryside. Um, going to build another large girl's house on this compound where there's several structures and just get that rock and roll and scaling that up. We'll build satellite houses around nearby islands for that one. And that can be the, central support and office and admin it's just it's a really a lot of fun super excited about it and it's something that uh, i think as you said that's how we got introduced um participated on some of those things and it's just just watch if that if that's intriguing to you or interesting to you you know plug in with me please and we've got all kinds of cool stuff that we can do that you'll you'll love just as much as i do I'll put all of those things in the show notes, but if you can mention, uh, it's the Ruel Foundation or the, what's the, uh, yeah. Ruel Foundation, as uh, is, is kind of doing business as give a smile now. So it's the same thing. Um, I'm on the board of directors there. I work daily with the CEO, Pauline. Uh, so we're, we're kind of a, a team there with the rest of the team. And then also angel capitalist is the group that I uh, founded, um, in the U S and then also here in the Philippines and, and that primary, primary goal of angel capitalist is also humanitarian, especially with children and surgeries. But we also do things with education and we do investments in small startup businesses or businesses that need help in scaling, especially here in the Philippines. We do that and we're actively working on helping support grow this economy here. That's something else that uh, my team, my friends, my network in the U S can jump in and get involved with, you know, the, the cool small businesses that we're injecting just little bits of strategic capital in and watching them blow up. It's, it's so much fun. How long have you done that for? Angel we started capitalist. that about uh, two years ago was when that was launched and we're just uh, scaling. I got my teams growing by the day and just having the time of my life doing it really. I, I don't know if I haven't heard you talk about it or not, but it's a, uh, you know, maybe I'm listening to some of the older podcasts of you, but that's awesome. So what type of, uh, what type of businesses are you guys investing in? Do you have a, like a focus or a target or something that meets your fancy and makes some money? And, and, uh, I guess, how do you guys filter through it? Definitely. We're just looking for, uh, entrepreneurs that have experience that have dedicated, um, have shown a proven track record of ability to grow and to make profit. And then our job is to go in there and coach to advise a bit to inject capital because there's no credit markets here it's very very hard to get loans so they're very much crippled to to grow at a pace that they could sustain they have the mindset they have the team that can grow it 
So it's not really an industry per se, as much as the entrepreneur that we're looking for and the team that they've set up, that's who we'll invest in. And we're not really trying to make money on this. We're trying to help grow the economy. And if we get our money back, we feel happy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And you're doing that in, uh, in the Philippines only or the U.S. also or a little bit of both or? The majority is here in the Philippines. It's, yeah. it's not micro lending. It's definitely a step higher than that. You know, micro lending is like a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand. We're, sure. we're more into like the, the $10,000, $20,000 range of a, of a real business that's ongoing concern. Uh, a little bit of that in the U.S., but it's, it's more focused on the real estate side uh, where, I, where I have my own expertise. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, lastly, the, when I started following you on Facebook, I would always see uh, – you know, you're just turning, turning records and, uh, you know, you have, have your, have your ones and your twos and your mixer in the middle. And, and I, I looked and I go, is this, this the right, uh, Facebook or not? And I go, let me join. And I kind of start scrolling through. I go, man, this guy's like a rock star. I don't know if this is the right, the right, uh, Will Crozier. I thought it was a multifamily guy, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm like, uh, maybe this is a DJ. This is the wrong Will Crozier. <laughs> That's him, huh? Yeah, that's me. I, I'm trying to hit all the bases. I mean, we have one life, you know, I don't want to be the real estate guy. I don't want to be the DJ. I don't want to be the human. I want, I want to do it all. I guess I'm greedy or ambitious. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I really want to enjoy my life and my time and connect with as many people and many walks of life as I can. Love the US, love the Philippines, love music. I love business. I love uh, humanitarian and I, I, I love it all. And I, I, daily trying to branch out and get new experiences, start new things, pick up new hobbies. Like that's so challenging at my age at my level or whatever <laughs> way you want to say that to suddenly be at the very, very bottom of a new pursuit. It's the best thing possible if you humility and to keep your brain working and, and growing. Um, so yeah, love DJing. I'm doing that a lot here in Manila. I, I own a you already call that in the U.S. a nightclub. It's a disco <laughs> club here. So yeah, yeah. own that here and uh, just want to start like bakeries and coffee shops and some of that good. Just It's not for money. It's just for fun. It's for, for creativity and for happiness. Yeah. That's what kind of the stuff I'm doing over here too. The sacrifices that you made early on and the, you know, the perseverance, the dedication, the faith, uh, all of the things that you did early on are now, you know, coming to fruition on the other side, blooming for you. And, uh, you get to live your best life now, help a bunch of people now. And, uh, that's, it's just a fantastic story, man. It's, it's really great. If I could just jump in there, I feel like we're going to close this thing, but if I can just jump in there, my, my, my real go-to advice kind of for the, the next gen, uh, and it would be for myself too, is, is definitely don't focus necessarily on going to make the millions before you live the life you want to live. It's, it's much more in line with find a way to make $5,000 a month from your computer. And that doesn't mean passively. That means just from your computer on hours that you want. Buy your freedom when you're 21 through using mechanisms like that or get your rental houses in order as quickly as you can to where you're making 5K. The difference between making 5K and 50K a month and income is very small if you have freedom. If you have freedom, 5K is almost as good as 50K. So focus on freeing yourself and then go find live the life immediately that you want to live. Don't delay it until you're old like me. Start doing it like now. And then in the background, use those same techniques, those same methods, that same network to grow your network, to grow your net worth in the background over years and years and decades and decades. Just keep investing in real estate, but slowly. And enjoy life today, travel today, work on your hobbies today. Don't, don't wait until you, you make your pile of cash and then magically your life will transform and start living. That's the wrong way to do it. Just buy your freedom and then keep making money in the background and being smart and using strategies that you learn to make your freedom. Yes, man. That's uh, thank you. Will. you've done amazing, man. I, I've, uh, I've loved every moment. I don't want to take too much more of your time, brother. And Thank you very much for uh, just being an amazing guest. And uh, God awesome. bless you, bro. God bless you in all awesome. you do. It's been fun, Abel. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. This is uh, Abel Pacheco at the Five Talents Podcast. Uh, if you want to reach out to me and or hear and learn from other individuals that are 
have as much expertise as well, but people that are pretty close to, you know, doing some of the things that he's doing, reach out to us at 5tcre.com. That's our website. And uh, you can like and subscribe. If you heard something today that provided you value, go and leave us a review. Give my man, Will, a little note of feedback here and then uh, subscribe and like and, you know, our podcast, that kind of thing. So appreciate it very much. And uh, thank you, Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast, give us a five-star rating, and most importantly, leave us a written review. Tell us what you liked, tell us your favorite guests, give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.